0: Great to be here this morning. Yes, thank you. That's good. I like that. I'm glad to hear it's not just me that thinks it's great to be here. We've been doing seven weeks so far. Have, can, who believes that? Seven weeks worth of this, by, this series that we're looking at, which is uh, being a disciple of Jesus. And we've been looking at the disciples of Jesus and the different followers of Jesus. And we've been unpacking like one theme from that person and trying to sort of identify how that now impacts us what I want to do this morning there's an activity to start with what are the seven weeks that we've done so far it's a little memories game who can remember Andrew. Andrew okay good yeah that was the second week Second week. Yeah, the call to Simon Peter. Good one. So we got two of seven so far. um, Mary Martha. Good one. You're going to get brownie points tonight, Mark. (laughs) Joe preached that one. That's good. So we got three. Disciple John. Yeah, Kerry can remember that because she preached it. Yeah, well, there's two Johns, isn't there? (laughs) How many we got there? Is that five? Matthew. Good. Do we remember James? We did James and how he's full of ambition and the evangelist. Now this week, you're, what you have to do now is guess what I'm going to preach on. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to make you do that. We could be here all day. What I've called this sermon is from follower to leader, and we sort of got that in the in the passage that what we saw from jo, we read Joe read to us. What we see is Jesus is now about to ascend to heaven and he gives his final instructions to the disciples. And we know it because it's quite well taught. Go to the end of the earths and make disciples in my name. Baptise them. Jesus receives authority from heaven and he now is going to be with the Father. And what what he's telling us to do is now actually you, the disciples, are to be the leader. See, Jesus doesn't just leave and then out of nowhere, right, imagine this, this would have been pretty cool. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, and as he's ascending, down comes a flock of angels. And then they're the leaders. That's not what happens, is it? But it would have been pretty cool. But that's not what happens, The angels don't become the spiritual leaders that take over after Jesus. Jesus doesn't go to the Roman centurions or the, you know, the people of power at the time and say, look, this mob weren't very good at keeping me alive, so you're now to take over. He doesn't do that either, does he? We just read, you guys are the ones. You've watched my ways, you've heard my teachings, you know what I'm about And now you are going to be the leaders for the next generation of Christ followers, which the term becomes Christians. You're the ones that have to go out and tell of the good news that Jesus has done. And, you know, this this pattern of responsibility being thrown in the deep end, if you would... It's sort of common across life. Let, let's take a step back from Bible passage and, and, you know, just the spiritual stuff. What are some of the ways in life we're dumped in the deep end, if you would, or held, handed over to the leadership side? Let me give you an example. As you, you, at one stage, for a long period of time, you are called daughter or son. And then all of a sudden you have found out that you're going to be mother or father. Then you have nine months of time to figure out how to do it. And the comment I often get is, I still don't know what I'm doing, and you're just learning with the first child. It explains why I turned out like I did. No. But in the same breath, from mother and father, you become, in that instance, grandmother and grandfather. Which is new again, isn't it? I, I can't speak. I have to hear. You know, you, you can't just discipline. Now, you know, it's not just parents that have have this stage of responsibility. Who's played sport? Who here's played sport? Who here had to play as captain? Was it like a rotational? So there's a few here that understand. So what happens is you're just a player on the team, and then all of a sudden, out of any, nowhere, they're like, this week you're the captain, or... One of my instances was I was playing futsal at a high level and they're like, this week, this game, Caleb, the the captain can't play. He hurt himself last game. You're captain. And I'm 18 and playing in an under-21s tournament. And then all of a sudden you have these 20-year-olds looking at you as the leader of the team. You have to learn real quick. Not the only one. Uh, Say you get a promotion at work. Now, unless you've been transitioned into that position, you don't generally have those uh, abilities to instantly adapt and there's a learning period, isn't there? See, leadership is developed. But the most important one, I would say, when you've gone from the position of not having had accepted Jesus into your life into having accepted a personal relationship with Jesus and then what happens then is you go from being the person that needs the message of the good news to then becoming the person that's living a life like that, displaying that for all your friends that maybe don't know Jesus. You're the one that is there being a bit different. You have to reconcile how you've done things previously and... How you do it now? There's this change, isn't there? And in that moment when you accept Jesus, you're called to be a leader just for those that haven't yet accepted Jesus. And the so leadership's littered through life. At any point you're, and at any point you're probably leading someone at any point. You may not know it, but there's always someone watching, as we'll soon see in a story that we're going to look at. But before we look at the story, let's look at what Jesus commands us to do, some of the ways he taught the disciples to be a leader, because in John 14, 15, says, if you love me, obey my commands. And that's the whole point, isn't it? We love Jesus, so we're going to do what he tells us to do so that we can lead in the way that he led. So, what are some things that Jesus tells us to do? Just off the top of your head. Let's spitball a bit. Yeah, love you. Yeah, fantastic. That's a good one. Pray. Fantastic. What else? There's a few out there. Be faithful. Yeah, that's good thankful thankful okay yeah. yeah thankful yeah 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 what about we said repent did we say repent what about feed the sheep there's a bit of christianese there but to look after those surrounding yourself if they're down he tells us to baptize people we just read that and he told us to tells us to make, go out and make disciples yeah, this is just a short list. There are more things he tells us to do. Note these aren't rules, which, sneaky insight to our next sermon series, they're not rules, but they're ways to live the better life. So let's look at a story. Let's look at, uh, let's look at this, an, an example. This is after Jesus has gone to, he's with the Father now, and we're actually hearing from a couple of guys called Paul and Silas. Who knows Paul and Silas? Yeah, yeah, we know Paul and Silas. And uh, what what we're about to read is Paul and Silas just uh, got rid of a demon from a demon-possessed girl. And what happened was the masters were making a lot of money off this girl, so they weren't too happy, so they reported it to the authorities of the land at, in that little section. And they didn't like the fact that these powerful people weren't happy, so they had Paul and Silas flogged with wooden sticks, which we're about to read, and they're sent to jail. So that's where we're going to pick up. It is from Acts, and it's verse 22. I didn't actually put the reading in, so I'm going to read it quite clearly for you so you can hear. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. The first point I guess I want to raise this morning is we've got to praise God in all situations. And there's a couple of parts to this I'm going to explain. There's there's actually three things I want to say about praising God in all situations. Firstly, when we praise God in all situations, there's an element of witnessing here. we're praising God in no matter what's happening whether it's good or bad we're witnessing in some way just like the point that you may be unaware of the people you are leading you may be unaware to the people surrounding you that are watching you and how your actions and words may be witnessing to them in the story it said around midnight they're still up at midnight, they got my sleeping problems. But around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What who and why uh, and what was there? The other prisoners were listening. Do you think that Paul and Silas were singing hymns and praising God because the prisoners were listening or do you think that's a byproduct of actually the fact that they'd started doing that in that situation? Yeah, maybe. But I think mainly it would have actually been because they were recognising the goodness of God and what he'd done to them prior or something. So you never know who's listening in and look at Paul and Silas. The other prisoners are listening and observing and hearing and seeing the effect of God in these men's lives. Someone's always watching. Secondly what I want to say about praising God in all situations is what it does is it centres our hearts, our mind and our spirit. Paul and Silas were beaten, they were clamped by the feet and locked in jail wrongfully. And that isn't what they were focused on, though. They weren't intimidated by their situation despite how bad that situation was because God was still in their life and they had the good things that he'd done for them and they knew the good things he had for them to come. Who remembers when we did the sermon series Spiritual Battles in a Physical World? Do you remember back to that? You can go back if you want to re, re, uh, go over some of those sermons. They're good ones. They're on the website still. But we did a sermon series, Spiritual Battles in a Physical World. And we talked about in that how sometimes the devil distracts us. And he uses things like hardships to actually um, take our eyes off God. But in the praising, in the singing of worship songs, It re centers your eyes back onto God and doesn't allow the situation to overcome what your current position is. Finally, what I want to point out with praising God in all situations is that I'm not saying you have to praise God for the situation. It's a difference. You praise God in all situations, but you don't have to praise, well, you praise God. Situations, but you're not praising God for the necessary situation, which is bad. I don't think Paul and Silas were singing a song that would have gone, Thank God, that I'm in jail. That's not what he's doing there. But what they're probably recognizing is the goodness and that God has brought to their lives, and they remember and praise God for Jesus, the saving acts that Jesus has done the redemptive love that they now get to experience. And so in that, they're praising God in the situation, but it's not necessarily the situation that you're praising God for in this circumstance. What I want to do is take a minute to think, to think about a time when you've tried to do something and I'll be the first to admit I've done this, when you've tried to do something by yourself and you've maybe forgotten to praise God through that, when you've forgotten that actually God's the one in control of it, uh, when you've tried to do something independently from God. And, you know, I'll, I'll admit I get flustered when I sometimes have the slip of mind and get caught up in the situation. You know, I might get angry in certain circumstances... Or maybe it's even that uh, you hurt a few people in those times, depending on how big it is. But now think about when there's hardships or when you are going through these things and you aren't praising God through it. When you give God the praise through these times, or when you continue reflecting on the goodness that He's brought to your life through these things, how much easier was it when you actually remembered God through those things? Let me continue telling the story for you. So the we're up to about halfway through it. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see prison doors wide open and he assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them and asked, Sir, what must I do to be saved? What a miracle. Isn't that a little bit exciting? We've got to be aware of the earthquakes. Now, you might say, what's that meant to mean, Caleb? Caleb? What, what earthquakes are you looking for to speak the good news? We, we don't have many earthquakes in Australia, though, do we? You know, that's maybe New Zealand. That would be a bit more literally translatable. What do I mean by earthquakes? What I mean by earthquakes is what is the moments, what are the times in life that we are able to use to actually be a witness to the people around us That need Jesus. As leaders, what what is it that you can identify in the so that you have the ability to go enter someone's life, get alongside them, and call out, stop, don't kill yourself. Not literal, but stop, don't kill yourself. There's something better here for you. We're still here. Earthquake opportunities happen all the time. Maybe it's when there is a great loss. Maybe there's someone's died. Maybe it's when someone's going through struggle street. Maybe it's when there's physical hardships. I, I have a mate. One of the times that I actually uh, was, one of, one of the times I was in school, and he'd been in a relationship for a couple of years with this girl. And it wasn't until they broke up that he had actually reached out to me and said, "What do I do?" Now you can take it one of two ways if you didn't have the awareness of an earthquake opportunity, you could have been like, it's all right, there'll be another one that comes along and you'll be fine. But actually in that moment, and it was by the guidance of God, what happened was we were sitting on the computer talking to each other, because uh, technology, but we were talking to each other over the computer and before I know it, I'm inviting him to youth group, letting him know that there's something greater And two months later, he was baptised and he's still involved in the church. You've got to be aware of the earthquake opportunities, you know, but it's not just negative things. You know, we think of earthquake opportunities, it's not, it's always hardships. Hardships are definitely powerful times to interact and engage with people. But there's good times too. You know, maybe if we think like a family find out they're having a child, It's an opportunity to talk about God with them. And what about if you get a job promotion? All good things come from God, you know? He's blessed you there, hasn't he? Maybe it's when there's a moment of love with someone, a son, a partner, a friend, a close colleague. In that moment of love or interaction with someone, when it's with maybe someone from church, there's an opportunity to encourage but if it's someone from your family who don't know Jesus, maybe there's an opportunity to engage them in that way. When and what moment is it that you're going to take the opportunity to share Jesus with people? What are the earthquake moments? Because we so often hear we need to share them, but then it's left there. We need to figure out when we're going to talk to people. Let's continue the story. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Remember, it was about midnight. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptised. My next point is, speak the gospel and act upon an opportunity. Here, Paul and Silas, look here at Paul and Silas. The jailer just poses a question. Sir, what must I do to be saved? And bam, they're straight into it. They're full action. There's no holding back. They shared the stories of Jesus. They probably told how his some of his teachings and in the love that he has and that God has for us. And it isn't written exactly what they say, as like in this conversation with the people, but I'm guessing they shared how Jesus loved us so dearly that he died on the cross for us. Or on the cross for the prisoner, the, the jailer, sorry, and for everyone else. And then they baptized him straight up. Right then and there. They baptized him. And not just him, the whole family. Now, the household as well. The household back then wasn't just like a household now where you have like a mother and a father and the kids. It was like a big court. And like they had like family there, and the extended family would all live together. And then the servants would all be part of that household. And then if they had friends or guests over at that night, staying the night too, they would have all been counted as part of the household. But they acted. Straight up, they acted. And it wasn't just the minimalist amount. It was everything. You know, James, Jesus' brother, puts it like this. And we're going to read this one together. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, Goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is deeds and useless. It is deed and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. So you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. Even the demons believe in one God. See, we've got to actually show by our deeds that we have the faith in God. It's the action as well as just our faith. We've got to speak the gospel and act on opportunities. As we transition to the leaders that Jesus wants us to be, we've got to act. And this is the exciting part. When when we do act, we actually watch God unveil himself. And that's the next point. If we come back to Paul and Silas, this is what it says. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. He, being the jailer, brought Paul and Silas back to the house, and they ate, and they drank, and they talked, and his whole household rejoiced because they believed in God isn't that awesome I bet you when Paul and Silas were thrown into jail they were probably expecting to maybe get a few converts in the follow, following prisons maybe across the ro- the walls where they could like see each other I don't think in a million years they would have thought the jailer and his whole household would have been the ones that they'd be like talking to about Jesus I bet they didn't think that they would be witnessing and bringing all these people into the love that Jesus has for them. In fact, yeah. So, my final point is watch God unveil Himself. We do the easy work, really, when we think about it. We simply present the message of Jesus' love. And our acts and our words are important. They do have an impact. But ultimately, it's God's work in the hearts of people that actually changes people. It's all God doing the change in someone's heart. And what we say, as I said, what we say and what we do definitely has an impact. I don't want to take away from the power of that. But it is all the power of God. God. So let's watch God unveil himself to the surrounding area. Let's be looking for opportunities. Those earthquake opportunities in our circles where we can testify, where we can talk God into those moments. And then in that moment they'll see because we're praising in all situations that something's different and better. And then let's act Let's act and speak and be a part of people's lives so that God can do His work. Let's just pray together lord god it's a it's a big call to be leaders within our lives to to be to be the ones that are carrying your light but we know with your power, the Holy Spirit that you're able to make all things happen and we just pray as we manage to find these opportunities as we we seek to share your name with people that they will uh, be able to, that we will be able to speak into their lives so that you can work your, your power. Amen.